Welcome to Live Sense8. I'm Sheila Applegate. And I'm Zach Hansen. In this podcast, we dive deep into the concepts of consciousness and other interesting trivia in the Netflix original series Sense8. We're doing an episode by episode exploration of how we can live a Sense8 life. We're also throwing in some special episodes along the way with actors and crew and people who have contributed to the miracle of Sense8. And this week's episode is brought to you by Denise Natitian, Teresa Helenin, and Divine Phoenix Books. Books with a purpose for a positive change. In this segment, we talk about what's going on in the world of Sense8. We actually had a really big week. Sense8 won the March Madness for Netflix Life. What a fun little contest. That was really crazy fun. And we went up against Stranger Things, and people didn't expect us to win that side. Self-included. You know what? Stranger Things, um, well, I think there's a lot of people that watch both and knew that it was maybe more helpful to... Vote for Sensate or prefer Sensate. In my case, that would be I like them both, but prefer Sensate. I also heard some pretty cool things that Sensate or Stranger Things fans understood that Sensate was trying to help promote the upcoming special and get attention and open up more possibilities. And so they teamed up and helped the vote. Yeah, they, they thought it was. Uh... A deeper, it was a more impactful show, per se, yeah. on a human level than Stranger Things. Yeah, and we got a lot of new interest in the series because of that, which is really fun and awesome. And then we went on, so since they won the Netflix original side, and then... Against Orange that is the New Black. Yeah. And Stranger Things. Stranger Things and... And a few more. Then they went on for the finals against a network television show, The Office, which has been on forever and is also globally known because it came from England. I mean, we had the American version that they were going up against, but it's got that international feel. And by just a hair, ended up winning that. I did tell Sheila, I was like, Sheila, we need a miracle to win this thing because we were down like 10,000 votes or something on Facebook. It was crazy when I checked. A miracle happened. Yeah. Well, I believe in miracles. Me too. (laughs) Really cool thing about it is over 50,000 people voted. And so we have to remember that this was huge as far as, because a lot of people don't watch Sensei because they don't know about it because the marketing hasn't been there. So this was a great opportunity to get other people seeing it, to have people see the fan base and the camaraderie and the beauty that can come from that. So way to go, Sense8s. Way to represent. Let's keep that positive attitude going and show the world what the Sense8 vibration means. 
Following up, Netflix Life posted an article, Sensate 101, A Beginner's Guide to Netflix Series, and that's by Nita Armstrong. If you haven't seen that article, look it up and start posting it because it's an excellent way to get new viewers. All right, let's get this show started. Our guest today is someone that has impacted your sensate experience, and you probably have more gratitude for him than you realize. We have today Ethan Stoller, who is a composer, producer, and music editor. He's worked on several projects with the Wachowskis, including Sense8, for which he is the music editor and additional composer. He also produced a couple of the series' iconic music moments, including the Bollywood remix from Season 1 and the Alleluia montage from Season 2 Holiday Special. Welcome, Ethan. Hey, Ethan. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. here. We are so excited to have you here today. And, you know, one of the things that I come to notice as we've been diving so deeply into this, I've never gone so deeply into a series like we have for this to really dissect it and look at all the tiny pieces, but we're really discovering what a masterpiece this is. And yeah, we really are. It's incredibly Mm -hmm. the way everyone has put everything together and the music plays a huge part of that. So this is really exciting to be able to bring you forward and have a dialogue with you about something that I think often gets overlooked. And I I think in a lot of television, most of the moments, if we don't realize that the music is affecting us, that's when you've really done your job well, right? Right, right, right. Uh, There's no Oscar for music editing because the best ones you probably don't even know. Exactly. Like, (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't pay that much attention until we got to know you a little bit, except for, of course, in this um, series, there are so many incredible music montages. And I mean, you get to weave in and out of a very uh, coming forward and being the center stage and then being back in the background with the music. There is a lot of music in this show. (laughs) There is. You had quite a job ahead of you when you got on with Sense8 and having to deal with emotions and action and, and just the full spectrum of human experience. It's true. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah, I think I sometimes lobby to take music out, but uh, more often than you might think. But uh, it works. You know, Lana knows what she wants there, and she didn't. I tend to. Her instincts tend to be correct. I don't even know if their instincts there. Her inclinations are correct about music in, music out, and we do end up with quite a bit. And I, as the music editor, when I'm just watching, I, I get anytime there's a scene without music, I feel very relaxed and just enjoy. <laughs> I'm not thinking about, you know, are the crossfades sounding? Oh, right. right. So it's a different experience for you because you're not like sweating when you're trying to make sure you've done a good job. Right. Anytime there's music I'm playing, I'm panicking all the time. Okay. <laughs> that makes you a good editor. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I hope so. But. Well, we, we do know you're a good editor. <laughs> we, we know that. <laughs> You've proven that. So, Ethan, can you tell us a little bit about your early career and what led you to this point? Sure. Well, I met Lily Wachowski in high school. Oh, wow. So Very cool. 30, 
three years ago almost now. She was a senior when I was a freshman. She was friends with my brother who was older and I kind of tagged along and we became friends. And then when Lily dropped out of college and came back to Chicago, I was kind of one of her only friends left here. So we hung out even more and became very close. And yeah, over the, yeah, I met Lana early on too. And so they became very successful, of course. And I was just enjoying their success as, you know, a friend. I was driving a car for 11 years for a job, messengering. And, uh, but, I was, but I was always interested in music and writing music. And I was always writing songs and making horrible recordings. <laughs> and uh, I started, my sister-in-law actually gave me my first film scoring break. She's a documentary filmmaker. And she was kind enough to let me try to make music for her documentary which is on pbs and worked out pretty good and that led to some more film scoring gigs nothing where i could leave my day job but i was starting to learn more and slowly you know as wachowski's career kept burgeoning you know we always stayed very close we never really lost touch which is nice they stayed true pretty much family so right. oh, awesome. they were never yeah yeah they were never really out of my you know we would talk all the time and We'd visit them on set whenever they were filming you know, foreign country. We went to Australia, my wife and I did, and visited them when they were filming the first Matrix. Uh, I did a tiny, tiny bit of music consulting on Matrix Revolutions, really tiny. I helped them pick which version of I'm Beginning to See the Light to play in the Oracle scene. Nice. Uh, yeah, because I'm a huge big band, Duke Ellington jazz fan, so... Awesome. I said, hey, they called him. Hey, I was actually literally driving, delivering a package. And I got <laughs> a call from them like, which, what's a good version of this song? And, uh, I didn't get paid for that. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> Did you get credits? I know I didn't. It was, it was happy to help. But, but you got a career. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got a free trip to L.A. for the premiere and all the swag. And nice. Uh, anyway, so then, yeah, so next was V for Vendetta, which... They were making in England, most mostly in England, and uh, just as like a birthday gift or just a just something to share. I made this mashup of uh, Flaming Lips song with speeches by Malcolm X and Gloria Steinem spliced in, uh-huh. and just sent it to them because I thought it addressed themes that were in V for Vendetta. And I said, "Hey, check out this goofy thing I did," and they loved it. And they're like, we want to use this for the closing credits. And I was like, oh, well, that's, that's fun. Uh, good luck. You know, I, <laughs> and then the Flaming Lips wanted an exorbitant amount of money, which they didn't have in their budget. And uh, they told me that. And I was like, uh, well, uh, maybe I could try to make a music track, you know, behind the same speech clips. And that led to, they said, sure, give it a shot. And that after many try this was october 2005 i remember because the white Sox were in the world series i was watching the world series making this song and uh it came out pretty good and it does appear in be for vendetta and that was kind of like my huge break that was that's awesome yeah it was like i enjoyed that flick that was yeah yeah me too it's pretty good and uh i became a little uh, again tiny celebrity on myspace for 
two minutes. <laughs> well, like, my spake was only two minutes. Yeah, it only lasted two <laughs> exactly. minutes anyway. You only had time to do that for two minutes. <laughs> People were like, what's that song? A weird song. Because it plays, it's not the first song in the credits. There's a Rolling Stones song that kind of is the main closing credit song then my song starts uh-huh. but so not everyone knew it existed or you know but there were people like what is that song why and there's like there's actually some bollywood music in that song and the chorus and samples and it's kind of heavy guitar riff and of course the speeches the malcolm x and the glory style so people were interested in it and but it wasn't available on itunes because i didn't have a record label and i didn't basically didn't know what the hell i was doing mm-hmm. uh but it was cool and so that kind of got me going, started working with them. And then uh, when Speed Racer came around, I actually had to go back to a day job. But then in 2007, they said, hey, come work on Speed Racer. With, uh, we need lots of music for like promotional materials and the DVD extra features and come work on, help consult on music for the actual movie. I was like, yes, I will do that. <laughs> yes, please. And then I've kind of been on board ever since although i didn't work on cloud atlas but i've worked on everything else they've done we did uh one thing people might not know is that wachowski's directed the player introduction video for the chicago bulls games for i think i did not either you can youtube it Uh, i think it was like from 2006 to they stopped running that version about three years ago so it lasts about nine years and so i worked on the music for that too so ever since then i've always worked with them i worked on ninja assassin which was my first uh union uh editing king i was an assistant music editor and i learned a ton about how <laughs> actual movie music editing works uh i worked on a music editor named joseph Tabisi, who's a great mentor and yeah from there jupiter ascending came along i did kind of the same stuff and then sensei which has been my job for almost four years (laughs) so that's pretty much it's a brief career bio (laughs) a fascinating career it is fascinating (laughs) just kind of like slipped into this career in editing music for all these amazing shows i'm from yeah that's awesome I wouldn't trade jobs with anybody. I really wouldn't. I wouldn't trade your friends with anybody either. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Well, that either. Would you, now looking back, do you see, like, can you look back to high school or when you were younger and see, yeah, this would be exactly where I would want to be? Or Yes. Yeah? Yeah, cause I used to think I wanted to be a film director. Okay. Um, but all, all I ever thought about when about that was I wanted to choose which music is in the movie. Like, right. that's all I really ever cared about. But I didn't know the music, music editor was even a career. Right. Until um, I was on, actually, I didn't even really think about it until I was on V for Vendetta, and I had to chat with the music editor on that show to, like, get the file, you know, sent, and, like, whoa, music editor, that's, <laughs> that's an amazing I could do. job title. <laughs> I want that job. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, it actually, it was funny. <laughs> when I was in college, I my bachelor's degree is in, like, creative writing, but I had to uh, supporting coursework in filmmaking okay. and I would make these little videos and film 16 millimeter 8 millimeter stuff and actually Lily appeared as actor in one of my movies oh fine <laughs> and you know she would she would like she hadn't had any success I mean she was still a carpenter at the time but she would tell me well maybe hold the camera this way and like <laughs> I mean it's like 
amazing, you know, she had amazing filmmaking instincts, of course. Right. And I didn't even know, I was so oblivious at the time. I didn't know. It was all just like, oh, yeah, I'm a filmmaker. But then it was just, she, she was the one. <laughs> Did she know at that point? Was she pursuing film at all at that point? Or yeah, was it? Oh, I she was. So. Okay. Writing and yeah, they, they. So knew. that was, it was part of what she knew, but she was also a carpenter then. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So, Ethan, it sounds like editing and music is your is real passion of yours, but do you have any other aspirations or ambitions to um, go somewhere else in this um, arena with filmmaking and music? Well, I do compose. I've written a lot. I, don't, I can't remember exactly that was in the question, but I, I, I've written written music for shorter pieces a couple commercials and you know of course some of the cues that appear in sense8 so composing is i guess an ambition of mine but i don't know if i'm i don't know if i got the chops to do it as like a major hollywood film composer it's not really an ambition but maybe like a quirky smaller tv type thing be a good composing gig for me (laughs) (laughs) i do i i'm a bit of a jack of all trades master of none when it comes to writing music and producing music which but, is actually perfect for the position you're in right now right uh it is it's if the variety of cues i've written for sensei it's kind of fun like stuff maybe the audience doesn't think about like the little uh the morning news the nairobi morning news thing when uh-huh. coffee is being interviewed in season two like like someone had to write that and instead of licensing it i just wrote it and it ends up in the show, you know, it's little tiny stuff like that. That's really fun to do. Yeah, that sounds fun. That does sound fun. Yeah. What are some of the other little things like that? You got me curious oh, now. <laughs> goodness, there's a lot. I wish I, I kind of, I'm not prepared with like a list, but, okay. uh, well, you know, actually one, one of my more fun ones, it's a longer one, is in episode 205 when they're watching the, in the movie theater, Leto's movie. Uh-huh. The whole first half of that, film score from you know the movie that he's supposedly in i wrote that like they were stabbing the guy in the neck uh-huh all that horror movie music right that's i wrote the, that cue the second half of it then we come back they like cut away and you come back that that's from johnny and tom wrote that score but yeah stuff like, like writing scary music is really fun also another one like that is in, in season one when bulger is watching the night of the living dead on uh-huh. TV when they come to visit him in the nursing home. Uh-huh. And it sounds like we futzed it up to sound like it was, you know, score from that movie, but I don't even know. Score I know. What movie is that? I've been trying it's to Night of the Living Dead. Oh, Night of the Living Dead. Okay. That's interesting because I, when we were analyzing that, um, episode i kept going it's really important what's on in the background maybe it was just for this interview <laughs> like maybe i was already picking up on the music or something no no I... it's most important music in the whole series no, I'm just <laughs> i think it is you wrote it it is now to me i know the composer <laughs> that's right that's awesome so as you're um an editor and you love to compose music and stuff were you did you st- study a lot um, and study music or is um, through schooling or was it like self-taught and another um, side of that question I want to ask is when it comes to trying to elicit 
a particular emotion in a human being. Does that come intuitive to you or is that something that you really relied on your studying to produce that effect well, for people? Uh, first part first, I don't have much formal training at all musically. I had six months of piano lessons when I was six or seven years old and I took guitar lessons for a couple of months when I was about 13. So mostly self-taught uh, as far as the composing. I did take uh, this kind of music production workshop boot camp kind of thing uh, about 2004 or five. That really, I learned so much about MIDI and production techniques and EQ and mixing and that kind of stuff. So that really kind of spurred. But that was right around the time I started scoring films so that training helped me immensely um but as far as which is com com compositionally it's not just instinctive like when you're trying to elicit certain emotions on a very basic level for example if something's sad it's a minor key and if it's something happier it's a major key which is that's you know again extremely simplified but there are different intervals of the of the keyboard that that do feel like the uncertainty is a certain interval and you know weirdness is can be a whole tone scale or something like that and I, i've i've read you know theory about i'm somewhat familiar with theory about which intervals and which chord progressions elicit certain emotions so that's not just kind of plunking away and hoping <laughs> other people think the same way yeah yeah nice when you talk, it reminded me a little bit about my son, because I, as you said, he, you had no formal training. He's in school now for um, biochemistry, so it's not his career, but he actually composed the music for this, um, for our, intro are, music, for yeah. our intro music for this podcast. I've heard it. It's good. I was wondering, I was jealous. I'm like, why didn't they call me? <laughs> we didn't know <laughs> no, you, and he was in the house. <laughs> But he just listened to some of the music on Sunset and came up with that, which to me is mind-boggling. Oh. But I was like, when you said that, I'm like, oh, I never gave him formal lessons either. <laughs> like, I should have done that as a mom. <laughs> but uh, you get there, right? <laughs> you know, formal training is great. There's no, you can't, it's like, you know, they can't take that away from you once you have it. But it's not the only, you know, you can get by without. I know a few composers who don't have any. Some have a lot. It's, you know, I think, I think it's an advantage to have it. I kind of wish I had known earlier that that's what I was going to do for a yeah. career. Uh, but, you know, I think maybe not having it takes you certain directions you might not, other, might not otherwise go. I don't right. know. Yeah. He actually has taken a couple of elective classes now, so he's getting some of that. But it's not like his career goal either. So it's just fun. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's really fascinating. And, um, I mean, the the music is just, I, I don't think we really realize most of the time, like we said earlier, how much the music is directing our emotions when we sure. watch things. I mean, it's almost yeah. like it's 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 equivalent to the the acting, the um, the dialogue, dialogue, yeah, the camera angle. It's equivalent to everything. Like you really need a good score for a show. Absolutely, to I, make it powerful. There's, there's a story. I won't say which actor or actress it was but when they first were screening the matrix one of the actors watched the scene without like watched the big scene without music and started like crying i think 
because oh, wow. they were like, this is terrible. My performance is terrible. But then they put in the music like, oh, wait, it's, it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good story so, to have in your back pocket. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, it, it, we think about that a lot, all the time. You know, it's, 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 we like, like literally like frame by frame, like which frame should the music start creeping in? Like what's going to lead the audience where you want them to be led emotionally it's it's not nothing happens by i mean sometimes you get lucky when you're first trying something but this is all we we pour over this stuff to right. try to make the experience the best so about how much time as the editor i know you've done you even have some production um credits in sensei too right uh just a well i guess i produce all my cues that i wrote but yeah i, I produced the hallelujah track which is amazing Thank mm-hmm. you. Maybe yeah, we should just it. springboard into that. We have that clip here. Let's sure. let's play oh, it in we'll chat. We'll play it and then you can tell us about it. Sure. Of that. Amazing. <laughs> it puts me into a trance. I mm-hmm. was thinking, I hope I can come back and keep talking. <laughs> it is beautiful. Oh my gosh. Tell us all about the experience. Uh, well, I mean, it's a great song. I mean, there's no, I mean, when Lana first told me that she wanted to use it, I was like, <laughs> it's so great, but it's everywhere, you know, like, how can we possibly do this? Uh, and then Leonard Cohen died right around the time we were editing it um which is just added to me but what happened was this story is crazy it was november of 2016 it was right after he died we had a version of that song cut into the cut like they worked on that montage for uh, weeks the picture editor and lana um the pick our picture editors i should name them they're great jet sally and fiona colbeck love them they worked just you know like a montage, like when you're editing story, I think as a picture editor, you're kind of driven more by the script and you have a little bit of more of a guide, but something like a montage where you have just so much footage to choose from. It's very work and labor intensive. And so they, they had worked very hard and they started cutting to this other version of Hallelujah. So this was, you know, probably weeks of work. And we thought we'd have no trouble clearing it. We knew we cleared this song. So when you clear a song for a movie, you have to clear like from the person who wrote it and then the actual recording of it. It's completely separate. 
licensing. Okay. Uh-huh. So we cleared the song, but not the, we hadn't cleared the recording, but we weren't worried about it. We thought, oh, you know, they'll we'll give them a lot of money and it'll be fine. But then it just, they wouldn't, they wouldn't license it to us. And it was getting the crunch time, like literally like six days from our deadline. This was a Christmas, you know, <laughs> trying to get it out by Christmas. Right. Like, nope. The final lawyers finally said, no, you cannot use it. And like we were like our jaws hit the floor, like <laughs> so much work had gone into it. And, you know, I had edited the music also, to you know, but that was nothing compared to what the picture editing had done. So basically we spent a day like looking for other <laughs> versions of the song that existed and nothing, of course, you know, fit or was, it had to be the right tempo because the cuts are timed to the tempo of the song. And we're just like, oh, and we're like, we're going to miss, we're not going to make our holiday deadline. We're going to have a holiday special in the middle of January like this was it was really we were upset and Lana was very upset and I just took a deep breath I'm like wait a second we can do this and I'm like we can make our own we can because we know we can make one to the we know the tempo and the cuts that we want so let's just make our own it'll be great (laughs) and so (laughs) somehow I convinced them to go through and I literally the Friday before Thanksgiving I Friday morning, I went on Facebook and just to my friends was like, hey, does anyone know any big choirs in Chicago <laughs> or connected with? Because Lana loved the choir. Like, mm-hmm. That was a huge part of what, like, just that, that sound. Yeah. So I did get a few responses back, like, almost immediately. And I ended up hooking up with this, uh, with a choir called the Apollo Chorus of Chicago. And I got the choir director on the phone and he's like, yeah, I'm your guy. I'm going to help you. I'm like, okay. Can we record it Monday? So literally three days later, he's like, uh, actually, we have a recording session set up and sure, we can try to do it, but you need an arrangement. And he, so his name was Stephen Alltop. He's like, I have this arranger. He's the best guy in town. He's great. His name's Gary Fry. He'll be great. And Gary was great. And he wrote this, he actually came to our studio and talked to Lana about certain subtleties in the arrangement that that Lana wanted, which was great because we didn't have that luxury with this original version anyway. So we make right. it quieter when we want, you know, really carve it out. And Gary Fry's a maestro. He just nailed this arrangement. So meanwhile, the producers are scrambling because they have to pay a 115 member choir. <laughs> <laughs> Each of them has to sign like a thing. It's like this logistical nightmare. Uh, Loran Turgeon flew out from LA. She's the associate producer. Yeah, all this somehow paperwork done and so and then on my job was to make the song mock it up so they'd have something to sing to and so they did that and then they're like well we need a lead vocalist so i sent my mock-up to like just my favorite singers some of whom i knew some i didn't know just from just i'm a fan and like hey can i send you this and we got a great response we got like i didn't want to send out too many because you just don't want to be too overloaded with choices but i sent about okay. 12 12 singers and they all came back with we had so many good versions but uh daniel martin moore who suspense is not a factor here got the gig uh <laughs> he he just i mean you hear it it's just he just nailed it. he's he's a singer from uh a singer and writer and producer from kentucky who i've loved for years and just his voice is it's just buttery and just he's just to deliver oh i could i could just talk for an hour about how much i love his voice but so he he did it like on his phone and like it 
wasn't the greatest sound quality, but just shined through. And we actually, so he, so we recorded on the Monday with the choir. That was an amazing experience. And then Daniel sent his version, his final version, a couple days later. Lana loved it. And it was like mixed and done. And within five days, we had this song that hadn't existed before. And we didn't have to do edit it because it was all cut to, it was recorded to our specs. Wow. Yeah. People loved it. And and I'm kind of become good friends with Daniel now. And he's a good good friend to have in the pocket for when I need a singer. Right. Uh, He's a real sweetie. And just, it was an amazing experience. And I'm grateful that it worked out because they spent a lot of money on it. So. But, you know, it is. And I'm, I'm, Sure, you believe, and I think it would be true. It's, it worked out better than you could have even imagined. Cause, like you said, the song is just a beautiful song, but it is overused. And so, you, you know, again, before we connected to you or knew anything about this, I was like, why do I love this so much more than I usually like? You know, like, mm, it's like, good. what is it about the, this version that's making me so drawn into it? Um, again, the song itself is incredible, but, this was different for me. What did, what did you decide? Well, to now, right now I'm deciding it was the experience you guys did, oh, the way oh, you oh. put it together. I don't know. I didn't really decide. But I did notice that I, I guess I'm just like the opposite of I'm so musically uninclined. It's incredible. Um, oh, <laughs> so me, I couldn't give you any kind of technical it, reason why. It feels like it hits me in the space between space within my body like it just brings you down into this depth of yourself i can't explain it it's like this transcendent yeah. type of experience yeah it is to me it was it's like a meditation like even when i played just this little clip i in even knowing that you know i had to come back and ask you questions i just went very deep within and and i was mm. i was visualizing an infinity sign going to the music without intention like i just noticed oh, wow. myself doing that yeah that's so, cool it's, yeah. it's, I don't know, it's a very simple, uh, instrumentally, it's very simple arrangement. It's just piano and there's a little tiny sprinkle of guitar in a couple spots. And that choir is, is, I don't know, they're mixed a little bit lower, especially at the beginning of the song, and that's okay. nice. And you just kind of feel it's washing, and then his, just, I think his delivery of just the way he just phrases things is just weird and perfect and it's amazing so yeah i agree i i never really get tired of listen, listening to it i i pop it on all the time just to relax yeah. <laughs> there you go yeah it is and you got to be the guy who said hey let's do this you're responsible man and that's awesome <laughs> i was a bit of the hero at this <laughs> for a couple of days uh, until the bill came <laughs> actually <it's> funny <laughs> no 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 i'm kidding sorry. i'm it kidding was, it, it was because we had to pay all the choir but um it was funny when we first, like, we did the, I worked on the mix with uh, our re-recording mixer, Tom Marks, and, and Mike Tholen was our other engineer. And we kind of worked on it, and, like, we were, we sat, we all got in the, the mixing stage, and, like, with all the people, like, about to play it for everybody for the first time. And I was like, all right, this is the best version of this song that's ever been recorded. <laughs> and everyone <Truth> laughed. Bomb. <laughs> everyone laughed. And then they watched the scene, and then when it ended, like it was just silent. People were crying. I was like, "No one's laughing now." <laughs> it is. I think it is. I think it is. I, you know, it's, 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 I'm biased, but you know, but I'm very proud of it, and it's, uh, I'm glad. You know, the response was amazing on the Twitter and the 
YouTube and there's like a no there's a YouTube of it with a million hits. So that's awesome. Someone must be playing it. But yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> there was no question. It was just okay. talking yeah, about the clip. <laughs> we just wanted to hear the story about your song. Yeah. And of course the visuals, you know, for Sensate fans and for me, like you can't divorce the song right. from the visual. Right. right. Like when Sun eats that candy, it's just so heartbreaking and just beautiful and yeah, and all the other moments and the coffee with his mom and you know that I think that you know, I'm, you know I hadn't mentioned that part before, but that's a huge part of why I think we connect with it too because it's and it's it's right after the baby penguin line from the Lido's mom, which gets me all teary eyed every time I see it. <laughs> Come here, my baby penguin. <laughs> And that's why so, yeah. I consider Sensei a masterpiece is yeah. because it's transcendent. Like it, it just hits people with all of these things coming together. It creates such a, an experience for being human and connecting. And it's just awesome. Yeah. I, I, I like it too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it a masterpiece. You can just receive as part of the creation of it. <laughs> oh, no, no. It's, it's, it's pretty good. Thanks. <laughs> And it's just filled with all kinds of moments like this. I mean, you know, some stand out like that, but there's just so many moments um, on all the different levels. So when you're you're working on Sensei, you've been with the Wachowskis for a while now. Yeah. What is it like to work for them and with them? Uh, it's a lot of hours. <laughs> <laughs> They're uh, yeah, extremely hardworking. Like you hear about great athletes like first first in the gym in the morning and last you know that's what they're like and uh uh but beyond that it's uh they they are extremely detail-oriented so like i referenced a little earlier like Mm -hmm. every like this piano note should it be like four frames like later to really hit in the right spot like they're at that level of of detail. Right. Which is, I guess, what leads to the long hours. But we don't, you know, we don't mind working the long hours because the product is great. And they, um, they're funny as hell. <laughs> <laughs> they're always, you know, making me laugh. It, I, it's hard to, to summarize the experience briefly. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's an intense amount, you know, of work in a shorter amount of time and it's but it's great because they know what they want mm-hmm. and you just have to work to get there how do, do you think the humor and just uh their i guess love for the art helps to keep so long hours staying cuz you're not talking long hours doing something mundane you're talking long hours where you not only physically have to be present, but mentally you have to be astute. Do you right. think that that humor, that like that lightheartedness mixed with the intensity of the work is what it allows you to work those long hours and still perform at your heightened? Or how do you perform? Or how do you take care of yourself? Like, what is long hours? Are you talking 15 hours a day, more, less? You, for me, 15 is... Not unheard of, but not the norm. The picture editors take uh, work the longest hours, at least as far as post production. I production side, I don't have much familiarity. I'm sure they right. work 24 hours at a time. 
Uh, post-production, the picture editors, they, 13, 14, 15 isn't, you know, that's pretty normal for, for them. Uh, it just depends on where we are in the process for, you know, a long day for me. But yeah, it's, you know, they, the food's good. They feed us, <laughs> which helps. And it's, it's, I love the Wachowski, but it's also the whole team is great. Mm-hmm. You know, the, that was uh, one of the things we've heard a lot from the people we've talked to so far, especially on Sense8, is how they casted people and the people that you get to work along next to. They're just really high quality, good, fun people to be around. <laughs> That's been my experience. It's ever since really started on Ninja Assassin with these folks. And yeah, it's, it starts from the top, of course, because, you know, the yeah. that atmosphere is created in any workplace i think from the top but yeah i've become yeah it's like a family you're all working towards one goal and everyone kind of knows their role and there's no (laughs) i mean you have no choice because you have to do it but it's (laughs) it's i mean what makes it what makes it easy to get through without losing your mind is the people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah the 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 humor is a humor is a huge part of it like we you all fans might think you do good impressions of the characters, but we do. The, uh, <laughs> oh, awesome! Ooh, do one for us. Do one for us. <laughs> I can't just do it on cue. It'll uh, oh, okay. okay. If it if it fades we'll, in, we'll be. <laughs> you know, we all we all have our favorite lines and our favorite characters, and we talk about it a lot. I um, I work very closely with the assistant editors, uh, Kat Thomas and Michael Heffler and Jimmy Durante, his actual name, and so we, you know, we. We just have fun. I mean, it's, you have to. It's, I mean, it's not just this job. It's any job, right? It's, right. Well, when I think when you're working in a creative flow, um, I I think creation energy and creative energy is the same source energy. And But in the idea that creativity almost fuels you. Um, so that has to help, right? I mean, that's like different than a job. But, but loving what you do, loving the people around, having a purpose, um, I think. Sure knowing that it's art versus just getting something done and knowing that you're going for the highest quality, all that stuff I think fuels us as human beings. I think so too. Does the, I, I, I can't imagine not, but I got to ask the question. So okay. they, ha- they have big visions in my opinion. They have a very deep understanding of what it means to be a human being and philosophy and just so many different unexplored areas in um, media on a broad stroke. Yes. So they have a huge passion and creative vision. They have to be really good communicators, right? Does their does their passion and creativity spill over to you and that helps carry you on what they're doing? Oh, of course. For? Okay. Of course. Yeah, there's nothing more gratifying. Like I I don't do a lot of interviews, but I was interviewed a while back and someone he was uh he was a good interview with the guy that was asking me about the four non blondes song. Mm-hmm. That that played so prominently. He was like, "So, is it most important to you that you keep the integrity of the song?" I'm like, "No. <laughs> all, <laughs> all I want, you know, our my, our job is to help their vision come true. If I have mm-hmm. to mangle the song, I will. If I have to, you know, keep it intact, I will. It's like, and so there's nothing more gratifying when you're on the mix stage and you get that." You know, a lot of times you get notes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> eh, maybe just a tiny change, you know, which means, you know, it sucks. <laughs> uh, but then when you get that final thumbs up, it's very gratifying. And I, it's, you know, we do, we do strive, you know, to be creative and, 
but really it's what I've learned. Maybe it's different with other directors because I have not worked with that many, but it's like, it's really, I, my job is to make their vision on the screen sound and through the speakers be what they're envisioning. Mm-hmm. I might not even understand it when it start on it, but usually by the end I do. And it, it feels really good when they, when it's on target. And then of course, when the fans react to it, that's a whole other level. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. So and then I get like credit you're... for stuff for decisions the Wachowskis made. Like you, that song sounded so good. Like, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> They get a lot of credit too, so you can have a little. That's I'm sure okay. they don't mind sharing. Okay. That's it's great that you get a lot right. of creative liberty. I think that's awesome. Well, there is some. I mean, you do and you don't, right? Because they know exactly. You do and you don't. It depends on so, the scene. It depends on what stage of the process we're at. Like, if I'm writing a cue, that I do have, you know, I they leave me alone and I write it, and they'll come back either with notes or with not. I'm usually there's almost always changes but you know we really try to hone in on what they need for their scene which you know is good because so i mean i do get to flex creative muscle a lot but it's always the goal is to always please yeah, please. please them you know I'm thinking, nothing gets past them you know i um i say that i'm the most one of the most um, surrendered control freaks in the world, but I'm thinking they probably beat me with that, right? It's like you're uh, very surrendered. No <laughs> <laughs> we can't say that. Hey, I, I claim it. I think it's fine. They're surrendered, they're creative, but they know what they want. I think that's respectful. They're artists. <laughs> so, speaking of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's, speaking of creativity, let's listen to a couple of the transitions. We'll do one at a time. Uh, okay. And this one is going to be Will and his dad on the boat. Oh, yeah. I kept shocking myself. And his friends are all laughing at me. I quit that summer. He was he was furious. Like, what are you going to do with your life? I told him, I'm going to be a cop. The way he looked at me, I'll never forget it. Like he didn't know who I was. I'll tell you something though. The day you told me you wanted to be a cop, proudest damn day of my life. of having your work cut out for you <laughs> man that we, one yeah go ahead that one it's funny i just mentioned it that might be the only cue i ever wrote where i didn't have a single note the first the first i mean a, a note from the director oh, nice. i the first take like lana was like giddy with like excitement <laughs> and which of course <laughs> thrilled that was like 
made my day. Yeah, that's good. Uh, something to remember. <laughs> so yeah, they had chosen that source music song uh, that played after, and they're like, we want something kind of in the same key, someone leading up to it in a similar tempo. And I was like, okay, I can, I'll try it. And it just, yeah, that one, that was a good one because it, it, I think it does lead up to that fireworks scene pretty nicely. And it's funny at the end of that cue the sorts of the song plays through the montage and I, that was an interesting collaboration with you probably don't have it queued up but at the end of it there's a doorbell ringing when Lido rings Hernando's doorbell mm-hmm. and I actually collaborated with the sound department who you know in charge of all the sound effects like could you please get me a doorbell ringing in D major <laughs> so it matches and like they did it's kind of like That's no awesome. one will ever notice it but the original doorbell they had temped in there was like a different key like ding ding and it, was like, it hurt my ear right i'm sure no one else would have cared you know <laughs> you just need a doorbell ring but he they did they changed it it's a nice it's a nice again the transition so like all those details are are gone through and yeah it's fun yeah well those details are the what makes the magic like it's important it is important i mean just if in if we take that scene as a whole in in its context you have a father telling his son he's proud of him and they're just chilling having a beer watching some fireworks and then Mm -hmm. you have this music so you have that that the nice melody of the piano and that in that moment Brian's got a tear in his eye. You know, he's got the man, he's man crying right now. He's not quite crying, but you see him tear up a little bit. And then, but it's also at the same time. So that's a, that's a very important moment, I think. But then it turns into almost a continuation of like a celebration of that particular moment on top of the montage of everything else that's being celebrated. So I don't know. I thought it was amazing because you had to pull on those heartstrings at the same time as create a celebration. Yeah. Thanks. I, I think that that's one of the music cues that maybe no one noticed. Like it's one, my wife like would say like, Oh, I didn't even <laughs> notice there was music there, but then without it, you would definitely have right. a whole different feeling. Exactly. So that was, that was I'm pretty proud of that one too, but yeah. That's, well, in no notes, I mean, that's, that's, that's impressive. Uh, First, I think it's the only time. The yeah, only time. <laughs> that's something to go down in the books. <laughs> yeah, if you could frame that, I would. I'd frame it and put it on a wall, but you can't. <laughs> I kept shocking myself. I love that. Oh, I did. I did the impression. There it is. You right. did. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I almost thought we put a clip on accidentally in the middle of it. You did so well. <laughs> so oh, yeah. good. Joe, Joe Panoliano. He's. They used to say they wanted to put him in the Matrix sequel so they could kill him in all their. <laughs> killed <him>. the poor <laughs> bastard <laughs> awesome I, I let's let's listen to a little bit more of your work here we, we got the transition but when we have the pride scene so i have a little bit of that as well so yeah, there's another about. tiny one that no one would ever notice but me but <laughs> <laughs> now everybody yeah now knows. everybody is yeah yeah We're, here we go
right? So we had a little bit of pride, huge celebration <laughs> into this nice, calm, relaxed atmosphere that Riley and Sun always get themselves into. That's right. That's one of my patented pivots. It's the <laughs> so I think we'll talk about this a little later, but our so the score has already been recorded before we even start editing. So they had chosen the cue for Sun and Riley already and they loved it. And they had that song, but they, to bridge between the two, they're in totally different keys. I don't remember exactly what they are, but they're like just far apart on the, you know, the wheel. <laughs> so you have to like create this this middle passage to, to bridge through. I don't know if you can hear it. Like there's one note that you find that kind of sounds good with the, the first song and just play that for a second. And then you start the new key with that note that blends with, the second cue and just this little stuff like that, like marrying score. Well, both examples you just played are marrying score with source music, which is a big part of my job is finding those transitions. And it's also, if you want, it goes into the theme of the show. Like the, the, the score music, you know, is, is the represents maybe the emotion your audience is supposed to feel. And a lot of times the source music is music, the characters are hearing or mm -hmm. responding to. And just when those two things mix, it's, it's nice. And we work a lot on combining them seamlessly. So they work together, which is, you know, it's challenging and it's fun. And I hope people it's, like it. The, the music, <laughs> I love it. The music version of limbic resonance. Right? <laughs> I think so. I think so. <laughs> it's Yeah. Yeah. And I, and that I I'm hearing what you said about yeah, like this is this is part of what the show is about and that that layeredness of having it um carry over into the music into the the editing of the scenes visually and the the script all of it together. I well I think it was well, it was cool because we it was pretty early on that we started experimenting with these kind of things. I I can't think of one from the first episode of season one, but it definitely in the season, uh, episode two of season one, at the end of that episode, when they're in the convenience store, mm -hmm. when Jonas comes in and Will is there and they meet uh, for the first time, like that, that Muzak music that's playing in the convenience store is something I wrote. I actually wrote it before. I co-wrote it with... Uh, this great songwriter named Nikki Lynette. And I thought, well, we need music in the store. And just, I just put it on there because I thought it was funny. Like there's music playing. But then as we worked that scene, we had it, the end of it. Yeah. Started combining into the score. Like it, I, I switched it. So the keys would combine. I think when we discovered that early on in the creative process, how cool it was to do these transitions from two different kinds of music, like almost sounding, you know, like they belong together. We right. started doing it a lot and it became like this thing, like this, this real challenge and goal. It's like, okay, how could like, geez, with Beethoven, we did it. We did it. There's a few other examples, but yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's so fun. is that something that is often done or is that something? Cause it sounds like you only, you did it a couple of times and then you're like, this is really fun. Let's keep doing this. So is that done in, cause I wouldn't have paid attention. How often is that done normally in shows? All I know is my experience, but as, mm -hmm. as a viewer of shows, I don't hear it done that often, really. Right. 
Like I hear, I hear it when it's not done. It's like, why couldn't, have, <laughs> why couldn't they have written the score cue in C major, you know, to match, you know, like right. you weren't so working on the show. I mean, these are shows I love, so it's not, right. you know, I'm yeah, not and I'm not criticizing any of your music editors, but it, I think one, it's kind of one of those things. Like once you kind of start doing it, you kind you of get like, yeah. you can't, you can't leave that <laughs> that song and that key, like. So I don't know. I don't think it's done very often. I think it is kind of mm-hmm. unusual. Um, well, you would know done... more than a lot of us because you can't listen to any television without listening <laughs> to the music. I'm sure you can't. I mean, it's true. You know, for me, I usually notice that if it if something's wrong, <laughs> you know, that I'm like, yeah. whoa. or if they're trying to invoke a feeling and I'm feeling something different, then I'm like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but most of the time, or, well, I don't know, Stranger Thing had, we. Th- I don't know how good and seamless it was, but we knew that they had purposely done like um, Edie's music to yeah. keep the theme going. That was cool. But other than that, I wouldn't normally notice the background, you know, notice the music unless something was either brought up to the forefront or wrong. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, I don't know if it's ever wrong. No, not wrong, but wrong for me. Yeah. Like it's not resonating with me or something. Not harmonic? Yeah. For me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I do watch TV a little differently. Like sometimes I will be watching something with my wife and I'm like, did you hear that? That transition? That's terrible. <laughs> they need to hire me. Right. But, but I'm sure that it was all intentional. And I just didn't get what the intent was. So sorry. You're, you're, all the other music editors are great. <laughs> well, we're all, you know, different types of artists and That's we right. have different abilities. Well, I mean, but what what I do, I mean, I'll be more positive. Like I, the Wachowskis do love experimenting and trying and, and that's what leads to these kind of moments. Like, it's not like I've said several times already, like every detail is combed over. And right. you know, when you have a chance to make something a little bit better, you, they're you, going to do it. Do it. Yeah. yeah. So that's how we were. So that was like a little bit unusual on how you made some of those sounds compared to other things. Is there any other aspects of editing and sound creation for you that made Sense8 unique to work on or unusual? Uh, well, yes, actually. <laughs> uh, so the score, which is written mostly by um, Johnny Klimek and Tom Tickver, and then later on uh, their mixer and uh, I don't know, he has lots of titles. Gabriel Mouncey is also credited um, as a composer on later episodes. Uh, it's mostly written, recorded, and mixed and finished before they even start filming. So I think most other movies or, or TV shows, the composer is like the last person on board. Right. And they write, they have the picture edited and there's temp music that's not in the show. And that, and yeah, composers compose the music and it's usually pretty good. And yeah, they go with it. But with the way we work on Sensei, them, the way they made Cloud Atlas and Jupiter Sending are to write the score first and have it recorded so that when they're picture editing, they are temping in music that's actually the score that's going to end up in the show. Mm-hmm. So that is very unusual process. But what it does, it's mostly a positive, but there are, there are drawbacks. But what it does is it allows, you know, in this case, Lana, uh, the freedom to 
you know, either cut the picture to the music that will be, you know, in the show and also to, to craft the music exactly the way she wants it for, you know, the, the biggest emotional impact. Mm -hmm. So when they record it, just as you might, this might be obvious or maybe not, but they like the percussion is separate from the strings or separate mm -hmm. from the breath, like everything, you have all these stems. So a lot of, you don't just play like the whole orchestra, like all the music you hear is usually part, you're not hearing the whole cue as it was like written. Right. Like they'll take just the string line from, can you, like in Lana is <laughs> her memory for which stems have which crazy parts is amazing. Like I should be the one who knows all that stuff, but like, well, I was like, let's look at the second piano stem from this cue and try it in this, you know, she, she manipulates that stuff really well. Right. So that is, I think, pretty still unusual i mean I, I imagine a tv show with you know that airs 24 episodes a season has a library that they go back to mm -hmm. but i don't think most shows are where the most shows write to music first so it it's kind of cool but. so would you say that because it's done this way the music dictates or the score dictates the what we see on the screen more so than usual uh that i don't i don't think so it just i think what it does it's the music the final because most so what most movies do is they'll take the editors or, or music editors will take existing soundtrack music or score music and cut it in just so they have a feel for how the scene feels uh and this our time music is the music uh, so i don't know i mean because most picture editors do work with music so i don't know if it to that extent if it if that is true but I don't know. I don't probably don't have enough experience to answer that. Yeah. Okay. Totally accurately. <laughs> but it works for us. So, and then Lana it definitely works well. Doing it that so way. have like, you... Once they did, sorry, once they did Cloud Atlas that way, because Tom Tickfer always works that way. Oh, okay. Um, they, they were like, we're never going back to conventional, you know, film score process. That was my, one of my questions that I was thinking what made them start this. So that was the experience of, they had that experience and then they wanted to keep right. it. Okay. Right. Now I'm trying to remember back to all of your history, but then have you really worked the other way? Because you came in more fully at Jupiter Ascending or did, did you start more uh, fully? In a, have no, you had a lot of experience? Um, I did work the other way on Ninja Assassin okay. and, and Speed Racer. Okay. So, yeah, I've seen it both ways. And and which way do you prefer? You know, it depends. It's <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, in some ways, it makes my job easier because I don't have, like, a whole world of music to try to, like, decide what to put into a scene uh -huh. when I'm temping it. Because sometimes I, the picture editors do a lot of temp music, but also I will temp a scene. But so, yeah, I'm... It's kind of a blessing and a curse because I, I'm, I don't have I don't have to comb through a whole world of music to find temp music. But then I also am limited to what I can choose. So if there's something that's not quite perfect, it takes a little more crafting of it. Or you know, in rare cases, I I will compose something if there's a cue that if we don't have, you know, they write a lot of music, right? <laughs> and most of our needs are met, you know, through uh -huh. the music Tom and Johnny wrote and recorded but you know sometimes and then you know gabriel mouncy who's actually in chicago with us will will write music that 
if it's just nothing, if there's no other choice, you know. So, you know, I, I do like it. It's, it's definitely given me a different way of thinking about music editing than when I started it. Um, but they're, they're both, there's, there's, there's value to both ways. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's kind of cool that we do this unusual Right method that no one. Right. It just seems bananas. When I tell other music editors about, it, they're like, "You do what now?" <laughs> <laughs> There's no composer like writing like later. Like, it's, yeah, that's weird. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right, cool. So, Ethan, I have a couple more clips here, and these are just kind of ones that you mentioned to me are some of your favorites. I know you have a lot, but we have the this. Part of this clip is when Sun helps Caffius for the first time. Oh yeah. Yes, let's let's take a listen. <laughs> oh man, I wish I had the visuals. <laughs> I'm sure you have it in your mind. Okay. <laughs> Close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. do love that <laughs> oh man so for me i really love the part when caffius needs help like the, when the music drops it just gives you this sense of like oh so that was awesome for me but i noticed something this time that i've not really oh. consciously paid attention to and because usually you know when we're looking at this there's a there's a picture in front of us right but how you added the fans cheering for Sun with the music at the same time, I didn't I didn't recognize until just now how seamless that was. Ah, well that's that has nothing to do with me. No, you know, I didn't do it. Kudos but you, to plural. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So uh, that that would be uh, the re-recording mixer for that episode was Tom Ozanich and the sound designer Dane Davis who has worked with the Wachowskis since Bound. Uh, they, they get credit for that. But yeah, it's a team a team effort uh, for sure. But yeah, that whole, the sound and music of that whole sequence from the time the, the bus gets robbed up till the end of the episode, is, it's really one of my favorites. It's musically and just otherwise. I 
when I, when people start the show, I think you've talked about on your show where people have a little slow getting into the show, mm -hmm. you know, like they don't quite understand <laughs> what's going on for the first hour or two. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wait till the end of episode three. Right. <laughs> and if it doesn't click, then, you know, you probably, you know, but, but that scene. <laughs> and yeah, the music for me is not a small part of that sequence. And that mm -hmm. was one of my, uh, that was a collaboration between the assistant editor, Kat Thomas. She, she, I think she came up with the idea for that, the Korea side of that music. And I kind of tempted in the, yeah, the Africa side and we married it all together. And of course, then Gabriel and Mono, you know, cleaned it up and made little tiny changes, but it just, man, that, yeah, that for me, that catapults the, the series as a whole into like a whole nother level, you know, moving forward from there. So I'm, really love that i never get tired of watching that one. i had to uh on a lot of these actually i had to like figure out where i was gonna cut them for the show because they're so good and i'm like oh we gotta get all this but i wanted to capture as much as possible that showed the amount of transition that wasn't mm -hmm. gonna take up like an hour so we could listen to music right. you know what i mean so i was able to cut like half of the fight because some of the music so i didn't get the transition in the beginning but we cut we saw we listened to the middle of the fight all the way until the end and that end transition. So there was just so much, there's so much there just in a yeah. short amount. That one's fun too. Cause the very end, the choir comes in, like he is Van Damme and the choir. <laughs> it's like, I, I try not to, when I have a choice about it, I try not to use the choir very much because I find people myself included. It's a bit like, why, why are we hearing choir? In the <laughs> I mean, of course we use it in hallelujah, but in the score, it's like, right. It makes it feel too, I don't even know what the word is to something. Maybe, you know, but, but that moment, the choir, when he is like, it just, it has this kind of messianic, you know, <laughs> flavor to it that you, we kind of wanted. It's kind of funny. And it's also like, they don't know what the hell's going on. It's all just, I don't know. I love that whole sequence. Yeah, it was awesome. It was very good. It is. And you're right. I think that is a pivotal moment in the series and, whether people are going to go on or not, right? To mm -hmm. keep watching. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first read the script, you know, I've got the first, you know, I don't know how many, probably eight scripts. Like that moment gave me goosebumps. Like, oh. okay, I think I understand. Because <laughs> reading it on the page, it's even harder to oh, I imagine. figure out what the hell's going on than with the visuals. So, but I remember literally like getting goosebumps and the fact that the the music cue came out so well like, right just very gratifying i think lana and lily loved it so yeah I would, I would say that's kind of one of the most iconic moments of the show i i would consider that because it's in the beginning and it's where son's really helping caffius out like a badass mm -hmm. yeah yeah I mean, there are so many iconic moments. There are, in the but, show. but yeah. And then like we, I think we talked about it in our um, review of that episode about um, that's when he asked for help. Like right. when they switched from it just happening to them to participating mm. in it. Yeah. 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 Well, it's funny because just musically, like we try not to use those big goofy brass things too much because if you use the like brass has a weird way of signifying like heroism or, or or larger you know things so if you i mean there's brass in there sometimes just doing smaller stuff with that huge brass hit when the foot blocks the the guy like it's a, it's a bit <laughs> over the top but that moment to me needed to be over right the top. 
And the other moment that comes to mind as far as the brass, if just finishing the thought, is mm-hmm. when Whispers first sees, sees Will in the elevator going down. I put in this huge brass hit. Whomp, whomp, like, <laughs> just, you know, because the audience, I like, the audience needs to know that this right. is a huge problem. <laughs> <laughs> So, use your brass viciously, but you know, don't be shy either. <laughs> it has its moments, and they're important. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Great. I have one more, and this is partway through when Sun approaches her brother in the club. Yeah, this we want to record a whole bunch of. I did, man. I love the music in the club in here, so I was just like, oh, I could just listen to this, but there's so much more going on, so here it is. With the securities and fraud division. And this is your warrant. Just come with us peacefully, or I will cuff you in front of all these people, including those reporters, okay? That won't be necessary, Detective. I'll come with you. Cool. Let's go. What do we do now? You get that motherfucker. Yeah, that's cool. The, the club music, the dance music, was written by uh, Gabriel Maltzi, who I mentioned earlier. As he's also like a DJ and dance nice. music producer. So, uh, yeah, I mean that that huge that that big descending melody thing. It's one of our iconic, you know, music phrases. And just when you the audience knows when that music comes in, <laughs> pay attention. <laughs> the I mean, shit I is going down. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> It did because you went from club music to the the gunfights or the guns yeah. going off and stuff. So that's a pretty big deal, in my yeah, opinion. Club club music leads to sex and violence. Apparently, it can. It can. <laughs> we, we do both in our show. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the reasons why Sense Eight is known for their badass parties. Like they they throw good party scenes, but without this badass music behind it the parties wouldn't be as good in my well, opinion Lana loves dancing and nightclubs and that's not really my scene as a human individual yeah. but, <laughs> but i've been there once or twice and it's intense so it's yeah i think she yeah that that music's important to to her and you know and gabriel does a great job with delivering what she's uh and they also collaborate with the uh, singer who you might hear her voice more than once through mostly season two, Zoe Wise, who works with us too, who's great. So yeah, it's a good team. And yeah, like I said, there's no accidents that everything's crafted and edited. So for maximum impact. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. You did an awesome job. The whole you did. team. And everybody I, did. 
I love that you've been giving shout outs to all the different people that, um, you know, came up in the conversation and their role that they played because I don't think that the back behind the scenes gets the recognition. I mean, I get it. Like that's your job. So you're not meant to get as much recognition and, you know that going into it, but we do. I'm just grateful to be here and be able to appreciate all of that to you and through you because uh-huh. you all deserve it. It just wouldn't go down without you. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's a great team, and I love those guys. I think people might not realize a lot of those names in the credits are really creative jobs. And right. You might not think assistant editor has you know a ton of creative you know, juice behind it, but it does. I mean, they, they make all kinds of creative decisions through the process. And yeah, I, 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 I wish I, there's probably more shout outs I could give, but uh, it's a good team. And like, we appreciate it, it, what's the cool, whole team. <laughs> yeah. What's cool about where we work in post-production is that we're also in the same building as the, the visual effects team. Okay. So it's kind of like get to meet these guys who normally we wouldn't interact with, but we get to, hang out with them and that they're pretty they're the supervisors ryan urban he's very low drama and they they have tons of work to do and they get it done and you know it's it's a it's oh it's really fun it's really fun i think i keep saying that (laughs) so that was actually part of what i was going to ask just that visualization for me of where you all are and are you in chicago for post-production and you're all together then pretty much we are yeah the uh the kino works is the name of it Okay. Uh, it's the Wachowski facility, and uh, it's about 10 blocks from my house. I bike nice. over there usually, <laughs> and uh, it's great. It's um, it's a wonderful place to work. It's a cool building. Um, the whole team's pretty much there, and there, the yeah, there's, so there's it, red, there's red and blue Dove chocolates the representing time. the red and the blue pill. <laughs> oh, a little bit. <laughs> I prefer the blue. It's a little, you know, milk chocolate. It's sweeter. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I usually take two. I, I have the red one is the dark. That's like the savory. And then I have right. the blue one for dessert. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. The, the dark chocolate is lunch. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. I have a whole strategy. Excellent. I'm going to have my dessert now. <laughs> no, that was my lunch. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's awesome so now are the is the post-production staff um or team from all over and then they come in for that period of time or are is it pretty much most of the post-production um team is located in chicago uh it's a mix it's okay. a mix so a lot of the visual effects team is local okay the sound team the Dane Davis and the dialogue editor, uh, Steph Flack, and the re-recording mixer, Tom Marks, and the assistant, Matt Kielkoff, they're, they're based in L.A. So it's okay. a huge commitment for them to come and, you know, basically leave their lives and their families. And they, you know, live in Chicago, usually during winter. It's tough, you know. They, you know, travel a long way and they're away from home. Um, for so like based- how long? So most of winter? Is it like months uh, and months? Months. Sure, four yeah. or five months at a time, I think. Yeah. Maybe even longer for a couple of folks. Mm-hmm. Um, picture editor, yeah, we had for season two we had a new picture editor fee, 
Colbeck, who came from England, oh, so wow. she was really far from home. So right. she was away for a whole year from home. Oh wow! Which was tough, but the good thing is she's an amazing person and one of my best friends now. So I get to go to London once in a while. Oh, awesome. place to stay. That's great. <laughs> I yeah, love no, London. We, yeah, oh, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the food in Chicago is better, but I think everything else in London. <laughs> Um, London, so yeah, I first started going to London when I was in high school in the 80s. The food has gotten way better over the years. <laughs> no, no, it's gotten better, but <laughs> sorry, Fee. Except I have to, yeah, I have to apologize too because I have an English mom and she's an amazing cook. <laughs> but no, no, I, the food there is great. It's just different. It was but Chicago's different. Chicago's the best. Oh, okay. Chicago's the best. <laughs> you have the best pizza, right? Uh, among others. So they say. <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh, but it's good. I mean, it's, yeah, being local, we try to, you know, be good hosts to our LA, mostly Los Angeles friends. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're always happy to leave, I think. Well, especially <laughs> Just of the weather. If, yeah, if you're bringing them in the winter. Yeah, somehow the schedules always work out that way. <laughs> I have a friend who is a visual editor based in LA, but has been coming to New York for the last few years for the winters. It's like, yeah, you guys got that wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, builds character. So. Yeah, and you love the show. You do it. Sure. That's awesome. Well, we had put some, we put out on Twitter for anyone who had some questions, and we do have a few questions um, that we want to kind of shout out to you. Some of them we've probably already talked about, but when I ask if you can just add anything if you think of it, how's sure. that sound? All right. So we have City Nickhead, and City oh. asked, can you ask him about working with Tom Tykwer? Tykwer. Tykwer. And how they came up with a soundscape for Sensate. Not just the tracks, but the composed part. So we've sort of talked about it a little bit, but is there anything more? Well, I can't, I've, you know, I know Tom, but I can't speak too comprehensively on that. Because like I said, the music, when I come, by the time I'm come on, the music's already been written. Right, right. So I think, you know, we've, we've had like phone meetings where he talks about general ideas about the sound he tom wanted you know tom of course is a great director in his own right you know run all the run and you know, cloud atlas and mm-hmm. he has a new show that's on netflix now uh babylon uh berlin babylon i think oh. is that right we'll look it up, we'll <laughs> uh, look it up. <laughs> so he's of course super smart and and he and lana are tight and talk about deeper stuff than i even understand uh but he he important to tom was to not make the music um, too specifically international to each place. Like, okay. we do a little bit of it. Uh-huh. Like, when they're in India, there's a bit of an Indian tinge to some of the music, for example. But Tom wanted, I think there was the same uh, ethos that drove Cloud Atlas, too. Like, when I first thought about Cloud Atlas, I thought, well, the. Like the part that takes place in the 70s should be like on grainy 16 millimeter film. And then, you know, like the old timey stuff should look in like, no, the important thing is to keep it the same, like those kind of things the same so that you're just the idea that you're telling one story. Right. So I think Tom, it was important to Tom with the music to just feel like no matter which of the eight cities you're in at a time, like you, you know, you're kind of just moving forward in one trajectory in one story so no, time out for you know african music 
we don't do a right. lot of that. I kind of, I don't, I don't know if I have, would have made the same choice. I mean, I think it works, but you know, I, I love music from all over the world. So I, you know, we try to sneak some stuff. That's in um, as far as the score goes, that's how we did it. It's a very interesting a creative decision. I think it worked out really well because when we started rewatching the show and evaluate it, Sheila pointed this out to me, but we don't have eight characters. We really have one character. Hmm. And they're all, they all have different stories, but we're really talking about a cluster, and that cluster has a story. We don't have eight individual. You can look at it at the micro or the macro level. So I think right. that's actually, it played really well into telling one story. Like, it's very thematic. Yeah, I think that's right. It's, it was a smart decision. and if, if it had gone my way, it would have sucked. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a different story. And it would have I, no, been no, great. no. I, it, it was clear from the start, like when we started editing the first episode, like, oh, yeah, this is working. This is right. Well, going. I think with, you know, some of the people that did say, well, there's so many storylines going on, I can't put them together. You know, I mean, that is one of the critiques people had um, in the earlier episodes that I've heard of from. And I think that this then would help bring it all together. You know, like it, it helps even the the subconscious say, right. This is all coming together, you know, like it is all one story. It's not fragments. It is. And I, it's, uh, it's funny when we, when I first come on, like say in season one, when I first started, the picture editors would assemble scenes for me to like put temp music in. I was, I was using our score, but I would take these isolated scenes, say like Nomi in the hospital with, mm -hmm. you know, her mom. So I would temp the music like it had a beginning and a middle and an end and the music would end when this, that scene ended and it worked as a standalone scene. But then when we cut the whole episode together, it didn't. And then when you bridge those right. pieces of score across, you know, t yeah, two or three of the storylines, like, no, 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 this is all one story. You, you right. The bridges over. Then you're like, Oh, it's, I think it's a nice way to glue. Yeah. To move that yeah. feeling forward. It's cool. Yeah, because it is cut in a way that you've got the individual stories, but it's always presented, um, almost always presented in the intricacy of the interaction, not the, step, the separate story. It's right. not like they start with all these separate stories and then weave them together with time, which other shows sometimes do. It's like, no, these are their themes that we're telling in each episode yeah you're like oh yeah <laughs> that's true I, just, I couldn't say it better <laughs> i would not have known six months ago that i would know this much about any tv show Me either <laughs> but it's fun we're having so much fun oh, good armor vincent omnia asked if you have oh, if we have a chance and we do have a chance would like would be curious to know if any of the song suggestions came from the cast members. That one, I don't. I can't think of any example of that. That, that would have happened. unless I see. I don't know the origin of the uh, the Bollywood song from uh -huh. episode two, as far as how that was first chosen. I worked with the second unit director, who's a really great director, Gita Patel on that and tina might have influenced the choice of that song but i, I can't say know, definitively yeah. uh, as far as other songs 
No, I know Brian J. Smith is a huge uh, classical music enthusiast. Oh, okay. And has talked to Lana at length about Beethoven, and you know we use a lot of Beethoven in the show. Uh, so maybe indirectly, the conversation sparks something. Maybe, maybe. maybe not. <laughs> maybe I. Yeah, the, I mean that stuff. Yeah, usually that's Lana or right. Really, and you yeah. really wouldn't know because if anything did spark it, it would have been on set, and it, by the time it got to you, it would have just come from them, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, especially from season two on, I think Lana was pretty. Much, although she maybe maybe her choices were you know maybe recommended by the cast. I I don't know though. I'm sorry. Wish I had yeah, a better that's all right. example. <laughs> you don't have to know everything. And the the cast has terrible musical taste. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Beethoven, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> well maybe after I edited it. <laughs> that that's one of the dicier edits is cutting up the piano concerto. Oof. Like you don't want to change Beethoven but yeah you know I'm talking about the you know the birth scene at the end of 10 uh-huh you know you gotta do what you gotta do that's right <laughs> that's one of those moments and like, you're just yeah. the man for the job Ethan oh thank you yeah <laughs> that's one of the moments that you put Lana over Beethoven right <laughs> well I mean we try yeah, I mean, of course we try to be respectful of the music but right yeah, I'm sure Beethoven was fine with it. You know, yeah, sometimes... <laughs> Go ahead. He, he would have been a great you know, jazz piano improviser, I'm sure. So. Well, that's... He, the, yeah, that's what I was yeah. thinking. Like, we you know, we hold... We do this with every kind of art, but we hold the person that was associated with it as if they were going to be that way now and that they wouldn't have... Their creative selves wouldn't have grown with the world, you know? Right. So, yeah. he's... I'm sure he's grateful. <laughs> Kalabag now asked, could you please um, talk about how the songs were chosen for Sense8, and then because I love the soundtrack so much, it feels almost like a character itself. So let's talk a little, we talked about how they were chosen a lot, but the character itself too, let's look at that because that's pretty cool. That she yeah, that's that. a very cool way to look at the music. Well, if the music's a character, I should get paid more. <laughs> that's a good so there's point. That. Thanks, Kala. <laughs> <laughs> that's a cool Twitter handle. That's yeah, the Wolfgang, right? Yeah, um, it must be a fantasy <laughs> in the fantasy world okay. of Twitter. <laughs> Music as a character is, uh, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty much all I think about for you know hours every day and weeks at a time. It's how to, yeah, make the music. A character. Sometimes it's a minor character, like we talked about, mm -hmm. just tiny moments. And sometimes it stands loud and proud. It has its turn. But like I've said, you know, a few times today, just it is definitely not something that goes unnoticed by Lana and Lily. That this is something that is complete. Every piece of music here is very intentional. And as far as being a character, it's it's definitely on their minds. So know that. Be confident that <laughs> if you're feeling that, that that's good, that that's what they intended. That's they, awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and that's, I don't know if that's unique to Wachowskis, but that's my experience. So. Perfect. All right. We have one more. Leslie Oliver. Um, could you ask how they chose artists from around the world? And then if there will be a soundtrack for season two. 
because some of the songs are not available for purchase. <laughs> so I don't know how much you know about Sorry. that. But <laughs> they keep me in the dark about the song. I get asked that all the time on yeah. Twitter. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, there's always whispers about it. My, no pun intended. <laughs> whispers is actually in charge of the music. EPO. Then we'll never get it. <laughs> never. No. Um, as far as how's music from around the world, we don't have, like I was talking about with Tom, actually, we don't have a ton of like music uh, from around the world as much as maybe I would like sometimes. But right. there's a scene uh, in the Christmas episode with a song by Ibibio Sound Machine, which is this really great band. I believe they're based in London, but they have Nigerian roots too. We use that on the when they're riding in the bus. It's a very oh, funky nice. song. That Actually, the temp music for that was like a Bruno Mars song that would have cost <laughs> more than an episode uh, <laughs> otherwise. Uh, so yeah, that was one that I found. I think we just... As far as how we find it, I mean, we just kind of scour our playlists and share music, and I'm always curious about music. Um, I did mention the Bollywood song earlier, which came out pretty nice, but I don't know how it was picked. I'm trying to think. Are there other? Oh, yeah, there's the um, Perfidia at the beginning of episode 105, I think, with the, the funny scene with Leto and Son in the mirror. Uh-huh. And the, uh, that's like a an old, uh, like a mariachi band, the Trios, Los Panchos. Lily, I believe, found that for that scene, which I think is a great choice. Yeah. It's really funny and sets the mood. Um, what are there's other music from around the world? There's some German club music. We, oh, you know what? What's funny? We tried to use uh, K-pop, a Korean like girl teen pop band, for the scene when Sun is walking through the brothel. Uh-huh. <laughs> but they wouldn't license it to us because it was because the subject matter. So oh wow. We ended up with the Lucky Lee song, which I think is pretty cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you, I don't know if you know which scene. I'm, I know the yeah, scene, I know scene, but I'm gonna have to go back and listen to the music. Yeah, it's a really the yeah. music turned out pretty cool. Um and then oh yeah, there's like uh, Riley's club music. I think Lana is more of the club yeah, DJ I was wondering about enthusiast. That. Yeah. Uh that's not my muscle my area of expertise is like mid 20th century jazz music so <laughs> i didn't help too much there's one scene <laughs> when will's meeting up with his dad at the green mill in the bar in chicago like that's an episode 102 that there's this old uh-huh. john john kirby is the name it's like this song from 1940 nice it's really cool uh, i was always, I always try to get my little taste represented in there <laughs> uh, but mostly it's like well, just what we like you know what we think worked right but, well, I think that there's such, you know, diversity, even in the music, which is part of the magic of Sense8. There is. I, that's my favorite, literally my favorite part of the job is how diverse the music is. And I've met, it, that question kind of reminds me, like, I do get a lot of messages like, I have a song I wrote that would be perfect for the show. And like, a lot of times I can't even respond because if we end up with something that sounds similar, then it becomes, you know, oh, right. a legal problem. But... There was an artist, she was from Australia, or she goes by the name Stella Rhymes. She said, hey, I have song. I love your show, and I have songs. Here they are, and just they were already you know, published songs. I'm like, oh, listen. And 
I love them, and I ended up getting uh, at the beginning of the pride scene that you played earlier. There's a mm-hmm. I can go, I can go. Yeah, if you remember that one. Anyway, her song got in the show. She was nice. like a completely independent artist. She didn't have a label, but just because she reached out and and because she was good, right? <laughs> yeah, know, she got in the show. But but don't write me asking. <laughs> I usually can't do it, but I'll listen on my own time. But awesome, yeah. This has been great. It has been a great, great conversation, Ethan. Oh, I've enjoyed it too. Is yeah. there anything on your mind that we didn't capture, didn't touch, that we oh shouldn't my miss? Don't think so. Just uh, enjoy the show, and we work hard on it. And we're glad you love it. Uh, really, we, you know, from Lana on all the way down. Like we, we read the twitters and the tweets, and the <laughs> we're aware of how you know enthusiastic the fans are and that that is fuel for us to to keep making the show so thank you so much for that and you guys the podcast oh my goodness just the little the depth that you guys go into is great i mean it's like thanks wow people are actually thinking about this stuff that <laughs> that makes us feel good and we you know we're just normal folks and we we're tickled by in the response and actually you there's a one of my favorite moments ever as working on the show was last year they did a premiere of the uh episodes two and three mm-hmm. at the uh season two at the music box theater in chicago and that was bananas the, it's a huge theater and it was like almost full and the crowd was going nuts and to, to be in a room with people and they were screaming and clapping and it was so gratifying like wow we don't because it's so much of our lives, we work in tiny, you know, just on our computer, and we don't get to hear any response. So it means so much to us. You know, I can speak, I'm sure, for all my colleagues that, that you all are so enthusiastic about it. And, you know, someone's listening and watching, I guess, but mostly listening <laughs> to what we're doing. Right. Just really, we're in it for the music. <laughs> <laughs> Picture optional. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I feel the same gratitude back to all of you. Um, you're impacting the world in a really profound way. And I think the fan base, the the depth of impact, you know, it's not a fleeting thing. This is, mm-hmm. this is something that's penetrating. And no matter um, what happens, I think, I believe it's going to continue to impact um, for a very long time, as long as it's my goal is just keep it available so that as people wake up a little bit, it's there for them. Um, and I, I think the impact probably hasn't even started, you know, I mean, even think back to matrix. I mean, like that's been generations of people impacted by it. And yeah. I think that this is another one of those bigger, maybe deeper. Yeah, they're, 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 they're pretty. They're pretty smart. Those they justies. are <laughs> to <laughs> beyond the human. They, yeah. They're they're actual superhumans. I think artistic superhumans here. Well, let's not get crazy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I added human in there. I did not oh, make yeah, them yeah, deities. <laughs> good, good, good. No, no, they're they're really uh, yeah. They inspire me and I uh, love them and they're loyal friends and. That's awesome. It's been one of the, yeah, of course, one of the defining pieces of my life is my, you know, friendship with them. Yeah. Well, and it's gone back so long. I mean, it's, it's been, you probably can't un, 
you probably can't unravel yourself from them very much um, starting at that yeah. age. It's great to have yeah. relationships like that in your life for sure. It is. It is. It's I'm very grateful. Yeah, 30, God, 33 years of knowing. <laughs> well, man, how old am I? <laughs> <laughs> Not very old. <laughs> no, but it's good. Yeah, no, it's, and yeah, I think, yeah, they, they've been through a lot publicly and privately and, they, uh, they're great artists, and it's a real privilege, privilege to uh, be part of it. So, yeah. Well, right. thank you, Ethan. Thank you very much, Ethan. Thank you, Zach and Sheila. It was fun. And that brings us to the last part of our show. If you enjoy the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash live since eight and go ahead and support us over there because it would mean so much to us so we can continue to grow the show and do an even better job every week. And you can always contact us via Twitter at live underscore sense eight. And you can always email us at team at live sense eight dot com. Thank you very much for all of your support. Thank you for listening and thank you for sharing. We'll catch you next time.